0: Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host,
1: Pete Makaitis.
0: Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 166 with Bernadette Jiba. We are talking hunches and how they can help you. Uncover your next big idea. So, you're going to learn one, how to begin trusting your gut, two, the three qualities that cultivate good ideas, and three, the skill of selling those ideas through storytelling. So, if you'd like to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items referenced here, you'll find that over at awesome at your ep166. And I encourage you, if you drop on by awesome at to check out some of our cool stuff. One thing I'll highlight is the gold nugget email list. So if you hear the episode and you're thinking, hmm, that's some good stuff, I should be taking notes. But you can't because you're running or you're driving. Well, we take the notes for you and send it right to your inbox each morning, the wisdom of each guest, summarized in an email you can read in under two minutes. So you can just sort of add your own notes for there. So you can sign up for that on the website or right from your smartphone by texting NUG, to 444-999. That's text the letters N-U-G to the number 444-999, and you can sign up that way. Now, here's Bernadette's story. Bernadette Jiwa hails from Ireland, presently lives in Australia, and is a global authority on the role of story in business, innovation, and marketing. She's also an advisor to business leaders and entrepreneurs, a regular keynote speaker, and the author of five number one Amazon bestsellers. Her website, thestoryoftelling.com, regularly tops blog awards in Australia. Her latest book, Hunch, released just last week. Here's Bernadette. Bernadette, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast.
1: Oh, it's a thrill to be here, Pete. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Well, we are gonna be doing some talks about hunches. And so I'd like to kick it off by asking you, what have been some of your best hunches that have worked out in your work life or your personal life?
1: Apart from choosing who to marry.
0: Oh, that's a big um, one.
1: That's a big one. Uh, We've been together a lot of years. It's 30 years, actually.
0: Congratulations.
1: Moving to Australia, that was a huge one for us as a family. I had never been to Australia before we moved here, almost 12 years ago. And yeah, just had to trust our gut and go, as I say to people. And it's just been a phenomenal experience. And... We love calling this place home.
0: Well, so I'm curious with the Australia move, where were you coming from and what were the factors? Apparently it was a hunch and not sort of data-driven analytics,
1: yeah. that
0: got <laughs> you to say, yeah, let's do it.
1: Uh, I grew up in Dublin and we lived in the UK for a lot of years where you know, we were living, working and bringing up our family. And honestly, it was you know really a, a lifestyle choice. We just felt that it would be a good move for our family and work-life balance, and it has been.
0: So in Australia, they're a little more laid back, or what's the difference?
1: I think there's something about Australia that is a real get-up-and-go culture, that there's this belief that anyone can do it. You know, there are no barriers to entry, and I love that. Uh, I feel like it's a very level playing field here, so... I'm not sure that's the same in all cultures and that everyone believes that. So I feel when you live in that environment, you're willing to take risks. So it speaks to some of the ideas we're talking about in the book, actually.
0: Oh, perfect. Well, so let's talk about some of those. You know, you had a very compelling question there, and I'll let you pose it, about the Dyson vacuum cleaner and yoga pants. What is it?
1: Well, it's what do the Dyson vacuum cleaner, Starbucks, Instagram, Facebook, the GoPro camera, Lululemon yoga pants have in common? Tell us. They all came about not as a result of data-driven analytics, as you pointed out, but because someone who saw a problem that was begging for solution trusted their gut and went for it and persisted.
0: Okay. And so then tell us, when you talk about a hunch, you know, do you have some layers to what makes a hunch a hunch or is that just the sensation in your gut? That's a hunch.
1: Well, as I define it, you know, you could say, well, I've got a hunch that, you know, it's going to land on black this time when we spin the wheel. (laughs) And that's not what I'm talking about, really. It's not crystal ball gazing that we're talking about here. I am talking about in the business and commercial sense and entrepreneurial sense, how we can learn to trust our gut by becoming more insightful and then having the foresight to do something about what we see. So insights that come as a result of noticing patterns and we do that with practice. So getting better at asking questions. And then when we find that insight, having the foresight to see the potential in that idea and to make a prediction about what could happen if you went with it. So if we think about something like the GoPro camera, you know, plenty of camera companies had the opportunity to invent that. They had all the technology and the resources, but Nick Woodman, a surfer who understood people wanted an action camera started off with a small bet by creating a camera strap to try and strap cameras to surfboards so people who loved surfing could get shots of them surfing. And it went from there. Um, So his insights came from being intimately aware of The people he wanted to serve and understanding their worldview and what it was they wanted to do. He had a lot of practice at noticing them. He was a surfer himself. And then he had the foresight to say, you know what, this could be a thing. I'm going to... He made a prediction that it would work and he took a punt and invested a small amount of money and just went with it.
0: All right. So I'm curious then, how can we have more of those in our lives?
1: Oh, Well, it's interesting that people talk about where good ideas come from. And I've started asking people to reframe that and think about who good ideas come from, who good breakthrough ideas come from. And it's about the posture you adopt, your way of walking through the world. Uh, If you think about the people we admire and want to emulate, we perhaps think that, you know, their special skill is, well, you know, Elon Musk has a phenomenal IQ or, you know, a savant in Silicon Valley. Actually, there are lots of stories in this book about people from carrot farmers to physicians who just adopted this posture of noticing things in their world and noticing what was wrong and thinking about how they could fix it, what's happening that shouldn't be happening and, you know, connecting the dots from there. So partly it's creating this thinking time and getting rid of our distractions being open to discovery really
0: okay well so there's already several you know real pieces there oh. one is noticing something two is mm-hmm. thinking about that something and the opportunity there and three is kind of preserving protecting that ability to think by purging yeah. some distractions so do you have some you know best practices or examples or tips and tricks inside each of these
1: well in the book, I talk about the three qualities that you need to develop in yourself. You know, when I was doing my research, you know, I was compelled to find out what these people had in common. So they shared these three qualities and we've got all got access to this. So curiosity, this ability to notice problems that are begging for solution in the first place. And you can't fix the problem unless you can spot it. So you know, becoming more curious and asking more questions, and empathy is a big one I don't think we pay enough attention to, which is understanding why the idea will matter and become meaningful to people it's you know we all sort of fall in love with our own ideas, and when you see a product that seemed like a good idea at the time but didn't actually catch on, let's say something like a segue that's the disconnect there is probably a little bit of lack of empathy and understanding what a real person in the real world was, how they were going to feel, where they were going to use it and you know, how that was going to apply and what you needed to do to support that. On the flip side of that, you think about Elon Musk and you know, Tesla and electric cars. It's not just enough to design the great car. You have to you know, have the charging stations. You have to think about how people are going to use it to enable the idea to fly. And so then the third part, the third attribute quality, you need to develop in yourself is imagination. And that's connecting the dots between this idea and what it will change in the world. And then sort of making a leap really, without knowing for sure that it's true or it's going to work.
0: Okay, well, so then within these... Abilities or skills there. How do we kind of cultivate or grow or get more of each of them?
1: Well, one of the things is to look up and get our heads out of our phones and stop walking everywhere with our earbuds in. It's so tempting, right? We want to optimize every minute of our day. So when I'm You know, heading to the gym in the morning, it's tempting to stick my earbuds in and listen to your podcast because I want to, you know, get some insights from people who have been and done or gone there before me. And then I'm not allowing myself this thinking time. So that thinking time is really important. I was listening to an interview with Sarah Blakely, who is one of the entrepreneurs I feature in the book. And she talks about how she set up her life. So she's the founder of the Spanx underwear brand. She launched this business with $5,000. It's a billion dollar business now. And she lives really close to her office. And she has a 45 minute commute because she drives a very long circuitous route round. And that's her thinking time in the morning. She actually deliberately takes the long way around. So taking the long way around is really important and giving ourselves time to think about our ideas and not just what other people are advising us to do.
0: Oh, that's so great. So you have that time available. And so that enables you to have more curiosity and engage the questions and see where they go. And then how about some of the empathy piece?
1: Yeah, well, it's understanding why the idea will matter and become meaningful to people. So think about the people who come to a cafe, for example, why are they there? I've worked with a client recently and his stories in the book and what he did in terms of research and being empathetic about his customers, potential customers was phenomenal. He went and visited so many venues. He sat in cafes and just overheard conversations, watched what people were doing and tried to understand why they were in the cafe in the first place. Normally, why we're paying four or five dollars for a coffee is not because we can prove that that coffee tastes any better or has any better effect. There's something else happening there. And that understanding of people in context, in their context, not just your outside view of them, is how you can get better at that. It's, again, being observant, taking a step back, trying to understand
0: all right. And so then I'm wondering, it sounds like these are pretty simple things in terms of just making the time and, you know, walking and allowing some wandering and some observation. Are there any particular, I get exercises or challenges that you'd encourage folks to take on in terms of building up these capacities all the more?
1: Yeah, it's a lot about asking questions. And that's something I've noticed that is coming up time and time again. There are more and more books recently about the importance of asking questions. And I don't think we do that enough. You know, um, when was the last time we sat down and said to ourselves, well, what's happening there that shouldn't be? And what's not happening there that should be? You know, things like I was on the tram the other day and I noticed a girl, she had her iPhone in one hand and she had a coffee in another and then she wanted to get into her bag. And what she did with her phone was she stuck it under her bra strap. That's really interesting, isn't it? What sort of little hacks do people use? What shortcuts are they taking in their own lives? Things like, you know, what IDEO, the design firm, have a great one, which is, you know, talk to people about what's in their pockets or what's in their bags and listen to them. Why is it important to them? Why are they always carrying that thing? Or why is their bag a mess? How do they organize their lives? Things like that, you know, this whole curiosity piece and then trying to understand, make sense of the world, really. I think we're very at the moment, obsessed with what's already known instead of wondering about what we don't know.
0: Oh, intriguing. And I guess I'm wondering right now, as we're talking, it seems like a number of these components are sort of you know, physical products. I'd like to get your take in the world of maybe services or solutions You know, in the workplace mm-hmm. or for a team. Does that yeah. change the game at all? Or are there different questions that can really spark some great things there?
1: Again, it's about paying attention. You know, a couple of the stories I talk about in the book are service related, you know, physicians who came upon scientific discoveries, but also who improved services to their patients because they were paying attention to what was happening in their practice or actually what wasn't happening that should have been happening patients phoning up for appointments and not being able to get appointments and asking the question why is that broken if something is happening over and over again that we don't like to see happening or that people are unhappy about why are we not finding a solution to that you know could be a small fix and something often doesn't need to be a big fix so the same applies in services it's usually something that's broken that Needs to be tweaked and we can do it.
0: All right. And I guess I'm wondering then on sort of like the service or human experience dimension, I think that asking questions really becomes so critical because I think we often are not even aware that something is broken mm-hmm. in the first place.
1: Absolutely. You know, one that example that I was speaking about was physicians working in a practice, flat out, thinking, right, we've got so we we're maxed out with our appointments, we can't take any more. And coming up with a solution which was, you know what, when patients phone on the day for an emergency appointment, let's not get the receptionist to try and defer them to another day. Let's give them a call back. Let's trigger something in our practice where the physician sits down at, you know, coffee time and gives them a call back to make sure that they feel seen and heard and that they don't need to see a doctor in an emergency situation and we're not taking risks with our patients. That's one thing. I also have a fabulous client who's a dentist in Alaska in the service profession, obviously, and he has restructured his practice so that he can do most treatments on the same day. And that's his whole business model. Oh, is that's so to- good.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I've been to the dentist <laughs> multiple times. How do they do it?
1: It's his way of working. It's his way of listening to the patient, understanding what it is they want, how he structured the business. I can send you the link. <laughs> oh, sure. It's just he's changed his business model, you know, so that he's coming from a place of doing what's good for the patient and not just what's easy for the practice to do. Sometimes it's hard. You know, he was telling me a story of a patient who came in at midday on a Friday and decided she wanted extra work done. And he had to look to his assistant and say, you know, who wants to work overtime? Is anyone willing? So sometimes it's about being flexible, but he had to notice to set that up, what he felt was broken in some aspects of the profession or some things that he wanted to change before he could create that model, you know? And so we have to, again, have the foresight to think, to make some kind of prediction about the ideal world people would love to live in. And, you know, how excited were you? when You heard about not having to return visits to the dentist. (laughs)
0: Well, it's definitely a differentiator, like in terms of, you know, go once and then make another appointment and say, okay, I was sort of hoping to be one and done. Uh, So that's really cool. And now you also have a point about safety. Like, is it safe to try new things and having that belief and that comfort? And I want to hear your take on safety. And I think sometimes... The lack of safety is an illusion, like we're scared for no good reason. And I think other times, maybe in certain workplaces or cultures that are not as welcoming, it really might feel unsafe to propose something out there. So how should we think about that?
1: You know, I read this article recently about Elon Musk and it talked about, you know, one of his new ventures. And the commentator said, you know, perhaps his greatest strength is that you know he's fearless. And I don't buy into that at all. If you really care about bringing an idea to the world, you can't be fearless. You actually do care about the outcome. Those two things go hand in hand. So, you know, make small bets. And if you're in a workplace that's not allowing you to be the person you want to be and live your values, then I guess... That may be the more risky thing, right to squash what it is that is really important to you in terms of making a difference or creating progress, and then you can always try things at home, right? <laughs> they mm-hmm. say don't try it at home, but you know there are so many ways to make small bets nowadays.
0: Can you give us some of those?
1: Ah, uh, well, if you think about what we've all got access to, we've all got access to Etsy and Kickstarter and Paypal and things that would have cost us hundreds of thousands of dollars to set up years and years ago. We've all got access to WordPress and blogging platforms and Amazon creates space. And there's absolutely no excuse for not having the ability to create and to put an idea out there.
0: Okay. And inside sort of existing groupings and relationships and teams. I guess one option is to mm. get out and get a, a new grouping, a team there. Mm. Are there any other sort of pro tips when it comes to introducing or suggesting we do a small test or we get some input? I'm wondering when there are third parties of power and influence mm. and authority, you know, how do you recommend navigating that social element of this?
1: Some of it's storytelling and showing examples about how other people have perhaps approached it. And then your ability as a storyteller to sell an idea is really important. And the other piece, again, back to empathy, is standing in the shoes of the person in the position of power and really trying to empathize with their challenges. You know, what is it that's stopping you from getting them to a yes? You know, where's their fear? Because, you know, sometimes those decisions, often those kinds of no's come from a place of fear or needing to protect something that's already existing. So empathy is a good one. And storytelling, we all need to cultivate that.
0: Well, now we have a whole nother episode about storytelling and your deep expertise there. But if you could indulge us with a couple perspectives on In the realm of communicating hunches or new ideas, are there maybe just a couple pointers you might offer in terms of making for some great storytelling?
1: Yeah, there are a couple of things you can do. I mean, one of the things, as I spoke about, is to look at what other people have done and communicate those to your team, you know, help them to connect the dots between where they are and where they want to go. So, one of the other things you can do is just sit with some questions. So, talk about why we're here and how we're going to get to there and is what we're going to do now going to get us to where we want to go. So showing examples and asking great questions.
0: All right. Thank you. Well, Bernadette, tell me, is there anything else you really want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things?
1: Uh, No, I don't think so. I think you've done a really good job of asking great questions.
0: Oh, oh, thank you. I and mean, that's one of the key things you want to do. So that's good news. Yeah. Well, for starters, how about a favorite quote, something you find inspiring?
1: My favorite quote is something that I have quoted in the book at the very start, which is something my friend and mentor and one of my favorite authors has said to me, which was, and that's Seth Godin. And he said, you don't need more time. You just need to decide.
0: Beautiful. Thank you. And how about a favorite study or experiment or a bit of research?
1: I am fascinated by the work of Behavioral economists of all kinds, and Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky, and the book that came about as a result of their research, Thinking Fast and Slow. Another fascinating researcher in that field is B.J. Fogg. If mm-hmm. people don't know of his work, uh, the Fogg Behavior Model, where he talks about triggers <laughs> and motivation and ability, and actually that's something that people could think about if they want to motivate teams of people to do something to get to yeses.
0: Excellent. Yes. Oh, BJ Fogg is so good. I have shared his YouTube videos with my men's group and said, Hey, what are some tiny habits we need to make here? So good. Mm.
1: I feel like so many people have springboarded off his work to go on and create great careers, writing books and whatnot. And he, he's, he's the source, but people don't know.
0: Well, now we have a few thousand more are aware. BJ Fogg is yeah, so good. And we hope to have him soon on mm. the show. Well, and so could you also share a favorite tool, something that you use frequently that you find helpful?
1: Oh, can I say it's got to be my MacBook Air? Oh, <laughs> It's got to it. be my MacBook Air. Yeah, I still have an Air. It must be seven years old and I can't part with it, even though it really needs an upgrade. Yeah, I love it.
0: And how about a favorite habit, a personal practice that helps you flourish?
1: I do sprint cycle training, which is high-intensity interval training on a bike.
0: Yes, I am a fan of the high-intensity intervals myself. Can you share perhaps what made you go this route and why you prefer it to a steady state?
1: You know, it's just, I feel like those 30 minutes are time well-invested. It's quick, it's high impact, it's high energy, you feel so good afterwards, it's efficient, all of those things. The economy and you know the payback you get, I think are huge and it gets you bit really fast.
0: Perfect. And is there a particular nugget that you share in any of your books or talks when you're working with folks that really seems to connect with folks, that an articulation of your message that gets them nodding heads, taking notes saying, oh yes,
1: The one that people seem to quote back to me most is, well, a couple of things. People don't buy what you do. They buy how it makes them feel. All right. And, you know, if we think about everything from a $5 cup of coffee to a MacBook Air to whatever you can mention, that is the truth. The Harley Davidson in anything big and small. And the other thing is, Product minus meaning equals commodity and product plus meaning equals brand.
0: Hmm. Thank you. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch with you, where would you point them?
1: My website is thestoryoftelling.com. And if they want to know more about the book that I've just written, it's hunch.how is the website for that book.
0: Okay. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for those seeking to be awesome at their jobs?
1: Yeah. Look up question, notice, make thinking a habit, and then go and create something.
0: Okay. Well, Bernadette, this is so fun. Thank you. Please keep on creating.
1: Thanks, Pete. It's a pleasure to speak to you.
0: For me, Bernadette's point about taking the long way around, giving yourself some time to think about your own ideas, not just what everyone else is telling you to do or demanding of you with the emails and text messages and pieces to respond to, makes a world of difference. And I've had some really cool results ever since I carved out some time every day in my calendar for I'm just going to execute what I truly believe and know to be most important based on my protocols, algorithms, heuristics, spreadsheets, priorities, values, etc. Just kind of say, all right, this is the stuff that matters the most. And this is the time that is protected and guarded for that to happen. And then to have that opportunity for just the creative fodder that can pop up when you've got that space then and there to tackle your stuff. And then suddenly newer ways of doing that come about. And it's been really cool. So I encourage you to absolutely try to find and protect some of that space so you can rock and roll with your creative hunches. And again, if you'd like to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items referenced here, it's at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep166. And I hope you'll push subscribe so you'll be sure to catch folks like our next guest. It is Nick Campbell. He's talking about how to do work you love, both in terms of getting that work in the first place and then enjoying it and growing in it while you're doing it. We talk about conspiracy theories and it gets funny. So I had a lot of fun with it and I think you will too. So I hope to catch you there and peace.